Hello, everybody, and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 100 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Tony Atkins. Hello. Sean O'Brien. Hello. And Jason. (laughs) Jason. (laughs) He was here a second ago. I just bought him a balloon, and when I turned around, he just disappeared. Yeah. I did have some witty to come back with that, but it's this this game sucked the life out of me, so it's just... <laughs> Set your stall out early, doors there. Yeah. Uh, indeed, Jason Taylor is with us. <laughs> so, heavy rain then. Uh, it's come to this. Here we are. Um, this is the second, actually, of what should have been arguably a three-part David Cage slash Quantic Dream uh, series. But it turned out, uh, I understand from the Fahrenheit uh, slash Indigo Prophecy podcast, that um, uh, none of you fellows were really familiar with his uh, previous work Mm -mm. on Omicron, a.k.a. The Nomad Soul. Um, But I wanted to bring it into this one because, you know, firstly, uh, potentially it could have been a three-game series. It's the sort of game we might have gone back to. Uh, It may have been harder to persuade people to play it. But I understand in Jay we have somebody who has some experience of the Nomad Soul. Yep. Uh, Dreamcast version, was it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Back in 2000, so 13 years ago. Um, And uh, was this a a game that you'd been excited for? You know, was it... um, I'm trying to think is uh, you know it's hard to remember after so long why why you purchased the game sort of 13 years ago yes. I I can't I'm guessing it was cuz Barry was in it <laughs> Yeah yeah I mean that um, was the the big thing this was you know before we kind of knew what David Cage was all about in terms of being a bit of a sort of you know um a roll up roll up you know come and see the show kind of a a, a guy um there was all this uh buzz about the fact that Bowie who you know let's face it some of his acting performances have been better than others uh, throughout his career, but obviously a phenomenal musician, although some of his records have been better than others uh, throughout his career. Uh, this was, what, what, what's, what was Omicron the Nomad Soul all about d- that you remember? Uh, yeah, I remember. Um, hmm. that I remember it was piss poor and crap <laughs> to the point where I didn't bother even seeing Bowie in the game. So uh, I guess uh, not much changed then. <laughs> so we we pretty much said that on the Fahrenheit show without actually playing the game. So you know mm. nothing gained. <laughs> it was a, it was an ambitious tale. Uh, mixed reviews. I think it was it was more fantastical than um, it, it, with each game. Uh, Quantic Dream seemed to have kind of got less and less away from from fantasy. Um, and I think my impression was uh, going into Heavy Rain that people were relieved um, after Fahrenheit's kind of bizarre second half that you talked about on that. Uh, issue of the podcast um, that all such matters had been left behind to, to tell a purely noirish tale, and that was that. That was it. A noir interactive noirish thriller with uh, quick time events, so called by uh, Yu Suzuki, back for Shenmue. Um, Sean, uh, mm. was this a big deal for you? Were you were you uh, lined up, queued up to buy this day one? Yeah, yeah, I was really psyched for it. Um, at the time, uh, I was a pretty big Indigo Prophecy fan. So um, when I first saw the, oh man, what was that thing called? The the casting, mm. the little uh, tech demo that they did. Um, thought that looked really good. And mm. when that when they started showing more of Heavy Rain, I started getting more into the idea of it. So 
uh, yeah, I was pretty psyched for it day one and everything. So, yeah, PS3 exclusive, of course. Mm. Um, and uh, Jay, what about you? I remember uh, you and I um, actually played the the demo through together at your place three three and a half years ago, whenever it was. The thing is, at that point, I was familiar with them as a studio because obviously I, I purchased both Nomad and and um, Fahrenheit. Mm. Hadn't really got on with either of the two games, but it wasn't. You kind of thought, well, they've got ideas, they've got ambition, you know, you should support this. And I remember seeing the video for the interview and, and stuff and thinking, this is actually, it looks amazing. You know, it, it, there was possibilities. Got the demo for Heavy Rain and was surprisingly taken with it. And uh, yeah, because I remember you came around and we were playing it and we were both kind of impressed Enough. Have, yeah, um, same story, and we both we both day one it right based yeah. on based yeah. on the, yeah based on the um, the sort of the promise the experience yeah it was uh, atmospheric and intriguing and uh, certainly um, I was into the idea of a game that uh, was you know, more about more of an interactive story and if if it took using QTEs or whatever um, to <clears throat> have that to where you know dragon's lair style almost you can have more spectacular on-screen action with fewer less sophisticated inputs and the idea that things like you know the the um the the icons on the screen would shake in pressure situations and stuff like that um yeah it seemed like an interesting way of doing things i mean i'd I'd played uh about halfway through fahrenheit prior to this and uh until it started going crazy (laughs) but yeah i still believed that Maybe this guy who you know wanted to make something more filmish and uh, maybe you know, maybe the ambition was to make something sophisticated. Um, maybe he'd pull it off. So yes, I, I ordered it and uh, played it through the weekend of its release, avoiding spoilers, which of course are a big thing for this game. Uh, Tony, did you get this? I believe I was day one as well. Um, All day oneers. Yeah, and I I, I definitely. Um, brought into the hype um i actually went to a david cage presentation he did for the game i think oh. it may have been at Eurogamer. i can't remember where but he he you know there was a you know an hour long where he, he talked about you know bringing certain elements that haven't been brought in before in gaming and how he was kind of going to make uh, the gaming uh, experience or at least the story is being experience be a bit more cerebral and i was you know, and I definitely had brought into it. it Sony had backed this quite heavily as well because you know it was a technical powerhouse, um, certainly back in two thousand and ten. Hmm. Um, and all signs certainly pointed to to at least a game being different <laughs> than a lot of stuff I played previously. So, I think I believe I was there day one. Well, it is different. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that a lot of people have uh, said recently. That um, I think some of our correspondents allude to it that we'll get on to whether the game is was important or not but it's hard to think back three and a half years in some ways um to february 2010 when this came out and what the what the standard what the state of the art was in terms of interactive fiction um you know how much could you do in a game to tell a story with emotions as well as having an actual game in there obviously since then you have to think of some of the games we have had that are now sort of regarded as uh you know perhaps set the standard since whether it be red dead redemption or the walking dead which is perhaps much closer to Mm. heavy rain um and obviously more recently the last of us things like that um 
but for me, you know, I go back a very long way. I go back to text adventures, um, games by Infocom and Level 9, uh, American and English adventures, mm. uh, respectively. <laughs> These were text only. So in a way, very different because, you know, they, they didn't have the graphics or some, some Level 9 games had very rudimentary graphics. Um, but they had writing. They had actual writing um, by talented uh, scribes who could convey emotion and articulate intelligent ideas um, with with text, and they were absorbing. Obviously, these days it would be incredibly, it would be a massive ask to task people with uh, trying to interpret parsers, you know, to put in exactly the right command to get the right response. But uh, I I I kind of I kind of balk at the idea that this. Uh, it, it took heavy rain to drive narrative games forward because I played I played those and I played the LucasArts games, not all of which were comedy, um, and you know had serious uh, topics and and undercurrents as well as as well as laughs in things like Grim Fandango. So, well, I, you know, not not to you know deep into our feelings about the game you know, straight off. But yeah, you know, I think it's okay to to say that, you know, Heavy Rain had a lot of references that it could actually, you know, look back on and through the game industry. It doesn't mean that the game didn't try, although, you know, it's got a foundation of stuff there, that it didn't try mm-hmm. you know, a little spin on uh, on its, you know, something just slightly different, mm. even if it, you know, even if it is very much grounded in stuff we've seen before. I, I feel like it's more cinematic um, presentation was something that games hadn't necessarily um, strive for in, in its entirety. Although you know, Fahrenheit. Well, I think they did, for. arguably in the FMV era, but very, mm-hmm. very poorly. Um, I mean, if anything, it reminded me of of, of those. It was. It's kind of like you know. I know there's nothing new under the sun. Goes the saying, but it it did have elements of things that had gone before. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, the QTEs from Shenmue or Dragon's Lair, whichever you prefer. Um, the idea of a of a deep and complex story from uh, from the adventure games, and yes, those FMV style things that were more about simple interactions and actually telling you a story. Um, but obviously, it was trying new things. Cage, you know, every interview he gives, pretty much. I mean, he's now known for it. Is it talks about trying to convey emotion, um, and generally, you know, that emotion tends to be uh, of a serious or or sad nature. It, it he doesn't seem to have a, an enormous desire to convey the emotions that video games have successfully been conveying for 40, 50 years, which is you know joy, satisfaction, <laughs> happiness. Um, so yes, uh, we will give the spoilery warning now in case we stumble across uh, the uh, the big reveals. But, yeah, I feel, I feel like we're going to talk about the reveal at the end. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we are going to talk. I mean, it, it may come up. Uh, it may come up repeatedly because I think it's kind of important to the how you feel about that is huge relates hugely to how you feel about the whole thing uh, for a lot of people. Um, so if you don't want to know who did it, don't yes, continue. Or, or yes, go and play or, the game. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, obviously, it's okay because uh, Michael Fox from Joypod gave it away uh, the day <laughs> after the game came out back in 2010. So half of our listeners probably know anyway. But um, uh, let's talk briefly about the, the technical side then because I think it is, uh, it is relevant. Uh, I, think, I think it's hugely relevant actually to the perception of this game. This That's just my feeling. Um, because I think it's 
the, the, the graphics and sound, the music, the score, are easily the strongest aspects of Heavy Rain. Um, the te- you know the, the the facial animation. We're not talking about the the, the even more opulent, uh, realistic, fleshy ones on the loading screens, which I'm not really <laughs> sure what purpose they serve other than a, as a tech demo. Superb tech demo, yeah. Um, but the actual the in-game visuals uh, and uh, audio are very strong. Yeah, and it's something that I've gone back uh, and played the game for the, for this show. Um, yes, so we should say that. Uh, we should have said that in the roundup. I haven't. You have. Uh, Sean has. And Jay I, I plays point, some. I point blank refuse to <laughs> carry on with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, it, it's hard to remember my feelings back in 2010, but like I can say from a, a technical standpoint now at, at the end of the generation is that it, it still looks very good. Um, okay. The facial animation has, has come on leaps and bounds over the last few couple of years at the release. Well, um, you know, you say this, but I, I, sorry to interrupt, but it, it, facial animation was better at that point and before this game came out. And I think that my personal thoughts on this are that there's some really talented artists at, at Quantic Dream. Oh, without doubt. Yeah, definitely. But an, uh, character animation isn't one of their strengths because these characters look like wooden mannequins half the time. Their, their, their actual animation is, sh- is shonky as hell. Like it's they stand almost like with their arms beside mm-hmm. uh, either side of them. With the they're, they're like dead-eyed automatons all the time throughout the game. There's just these odd flashes where maybe it's in a sequence such as in a shop or something where you, you're talking to somebody and you think if you take a screenshot, it looks great. But when you see it moving, it's it's lacking. And did we feel that at the time? Do you yeah, think? well, yeah, yeah, because I think at the time, at the time we'd already had the first Uncharted. We'd had the set. We were coming up to the second one, and you know there was there was better character animation going on at the time. You know, even Metal Gear for its sort of stiffness of its characters and the, the lack of detail in their faces are still better animated than most of the characters in Heavy Rain. Well, and I also think I mean that bleeds into controls that we're getting to in a little a little while. But um, but from a from a technical standpoint of looking at the game, like like you say, Jay, from a you know if looking at it from a, a screenshot or just as mm. the game running in the background, it, it looks phenomenal still. And a lot of that is um, you know down to uh, it probably is a three D world, but you know there's limited camera movement and it, it's almost kind of has that Resident Evil kind of style effect where you know things are placed exactly where you're kind of meant to see them, although you know. You can move around that 3D environment. It feels very much a lot of those areas are staged, very um, small environments. They can put a lot of detail, but even you know the the rain and weather effects and the, and the reflections and stuff still look phenomenal now. So yeah. still got some neat tricks up its sleeve. Yeah, I mean for for all the things that this game gets wrong, I think one thing it gets right is atmosphere, and mm. I think the the visuals and and you mentioned earlier, Leon, the score I think really um, mm. attracted pretty well to that idea, but. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree more with Tony about the the characters. I think um, Jay, you're right about the eyes. Like the eyes just don't work. Um, Vacant. Yeah. yeah, and I think really like the only time I've seen it done well is in Uncharted and The Last of Us. Like Naughty Dog, they know how to do it, but this is the only time I've seen someone get close to that um, that I can think of that I've played anyway. Um, and especially for 2010, I think it's it was impressive at the time. Um, of course, looking at it now, it's a little rough, but I still think generally it looks pretty good. So. Yeah, mm. I did, from that point of view, aesthetically, I, 
it, it impressed me at the time, but it still impressed me now, is that the environments, mm. there's, there's lots of variation. So, you know, at the very start of the game, you, you're within his home and there's, there's a great amount of, you know, I'd say incidental detail of, you know, if you go into his office, it, it looks like an office and a TV lounge and stuff. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff is commonplace now. But, you know, there's a real colour, you know, strong colour scheme to, to that environment, mm-hmm. bright and sunny, because obviously Ethan's a lot more happier at that point. And as you progress through the game and the darker tones really start to, to move through and, and the heavy rain of the title starts to fall even heavier, you know, the game does make a really interesting and nice transition between, you know, the more kind of bright and airy places to start to the more seedy, downright, you know, horrible places that eventually, the, you know, they're visiting towards the end. And, and I think there's a, a mm-hmm. real kind of, you know, art from an artistry point of view, I think there's a really nice transition all the way throughout that game. Yeah, I also might be a little bit biased because the game takes place in Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. And um, Philadelphia is a, it's a well, it's a it's a disgusting city. I'm sorry to all my friends who live there and <laughs> listen to this, from but the it's, Fresh it's, it's of Bel Air because apparently that's where he was born and raised in the west yeah. of that particular yep. West Philly, yeah. born and raised. Yeah. Uh, so you're, are you one of the hoods, or are you like Will Smith? No, no, I was northeast, northeast Philly. <laughs> but you did have the move. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> moved into a mansion. Um, yeah, so, and the score, uh, Norman Corbet, sadly no longer with us, uh, died mm. of cancer earlier this year, um, worked on a lot of film and TV, won a BAFTA for his Heavy Rain score, um, and started work on Beyond Two Souls, Quantic Dreams Next Game, out later this year, um, unfinished, of course, um, to be completed by Lorne mm. Balfi and Hans Zimmer who you may have heard of yeah um but yes i think it was a really it was it was evocative of of things certainly um seven was uh the the movie seven the david fincher film i think was a touch stone for the for the soundtrack but that may be to do uh corbet a disservice because maybe he was doing music like i mean he's been he was making film scores you know years before uh, that film mm. came out, so perhaps it's his own thing, or perhaps even um, I can't remember who did the score for Seven. I'm so, so sure it's another well-known Hollywood um, composer, but uh, uh, perhaps perhaps they were influenced by him. So we can't say that for sure. But um, I, I do feel like obviously you you have the main theme of Heavy Rain, which is is very um, emotive. <laughs> yeah. But um, and I, and I feel like really most of the game it's just a variation of that theme over and over again to the point where it kind of repeats ad nauseum i mean certain tense scenes have you know more dramatic music but i feel i feel like i heard that main theme just constantly mm-hmm. playing again and again and again yeah it kind of cycles between four different songs i think yeah overall. uh it looks and sounds good um i say it sounds good but um i think one of the problems that a lot of people may have had certainly i had a huge issue is the standard of the voice acting uh, rather wooden delivery. Often, um, I think they used a lot of French Canadian actors uh, using uh, non. Or was it even French actors? I'm not. Maybe not even French Canadians, um, but acting in the English language, doing putting on American accents, um, and 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 in a lot of cases, particularly uh, perhaps uh, Leon Ockendurner's Norman Jaden, just not very good. Why well, just settle with him? <laughs> I mean, you know, with the, uh, I, you could pretty much single anybody out in that game um, for their sort of piss poor acting, really. Did you say, um, I, Tony, you've played it more recently? Uh, any performances stand out as being strong or weak for you? 
Um, I think I, I didn't mind Scott Shelby to be honest. I, I thought well, he's, he's, he's isn't he the only uh, sort of genuine American in the cast as that's well? That's probably why then. <laughs> Uh, I which, think that's true. Yeah, which of, is really weird because actually in, in Fahrenheit we we covered on on that show, which is they actually use regional actors for you know the the parts that were meant to be playing. So um, you know people fitted the roles that are meant to be you know, be played from where they are. So I, I don't know what happened in in this transition. Whether you know there was just so much money being spent and it needed to be you know just set within France and all they could do is get French actors in. Well, they got, it, I think. Um, sorry, the, the 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 lead actor, the guy who plays Ethan Myers, is English, and I think it, it it seems to be based solely between English and French voice actors. He is. He's called so, Pascal, but he is uh, yeah, he is English. Well, we know him now because he appears regularly as part oh. of the lottery adverts we've got over here. He's oh, really? a mad Russian millionaire or something. <laughs> I he's didn't like, know that. yeah, and we've got Scott Shelby as well appears on the Phones for You adverts on ITV. I didn't know that. Either. <laughs> wow, careers have taken off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's such. A, oh, go on. Oh, it's just such a baffling choice to cast half of them French and half of them English. You know, and 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 set the game in the America. girl too. <laughs> right, set it in Philadelphia, and then cast a British girl, but use an American mm. woman's voice. Mm. <laughs> so many inconsistent ideas that just throws all the voice acting it's off. It's something you see in movies yeah. a lot, and obviously Cage definitely has an ambition to uh, make his games movie-like, um, mm-hmm. but it often baffles me when you're watching, you know, big big Hollywood films where the villain uh, is is an American playing mm-hmm. with an English accent and the hero is an mm-hmm. Englishman playing with an American accent and, and so on and so forth, all the way through the cast. Um, you've got... You know, I, I realise it's part of the the skill set of an actor to be able mm-hmm. to do accents, but sometimes it seems that there's a more obvious casting choice. My point being, though, that it can be done and it can be effective. And if you, you know, if if the accents are good enough, if the if the accents that they're putting on are strong enough, and the dialogue that they're delivering is is uh, engaging enough, and what they, you know, what they're saying uh, distracts you. But I, I think. A lot of the time, and again, um, we, we often talk about sort of how these scenes were mm-hmm. were put together. Were they in the were they in the audio booths at the same time, or were they acting out the scenes together? Uh, Heavy Rain to me always felt like it was people doing their own audio tracks separate from everyone else, mm-hmm. and with a director who wasn't willing to say, you know, give it more this or or give it less that or something. Just or you know, maybe the actors didn't have the talent to elevate their performances, but. Uh, it really felt f- flat for me in, in in a game that relies so much on you know is obviously well, so reliant on that. And, and I think that's the point. I, like bad voice acting in games is is not a rare thing. If anything, it's commonplace, and you know the, it's few and far between the, the ones where we go, yeah, it's great voice acting. I mean, it, it does happen, but it's it's rare and less rare than it once was, of course. And I and because it, I think it all stems back, and we'll come to this time and time again, is that. The game that David Cage wants to make is you know, has as many parallels to film, mm. and if you're going to run that very you know fine tightrope, then you really have to play it at, at its own game. Now, you know, bad films are, are bad films, bad voice actors are bad voice actors, and you know if you if you're <laughs> watching a film, I mean that that's that's just the case, and you can't escape it, and it just falls into that trap with the game, which is you know if if you're hiring actors to put on accents and they're not they can't achieve it, then that's going to show tenfold in a game which ultimately is trying to emulate some kind of film rather than just being, you know, voices in the background, just, you know, pushing an overarching storyline just for the, the player to move on through a scene. 
Mm. But the problem's twofold though, because if you've if you've got it doesn't matter how good the voice actors are or the actors, even if it's a movie, if the lines they are uttering uh, are just course. utter yeah. shit from start to finish. Well, and, and complete. I mean, like I say, the, the way I think it just stands out more because a lot of the scenes, I mean, David Cage is, is going for, you know, emotional resonance scenes to the player. And, um, you know, they're hard enough to do at the best times, even people at the very top of their medium to, to make people feel emotionally attached to you. And then he's got this overlay of you know, game mechanics on top of that and um, the fact that you're, you're playing a game and, and not just viewing it. Like he, he's, he's fighting an uphill battle all the time. So I think, you know, even if it was just average actors uh-huh. doing stuff, that would be highlighted probably as bad as well because there's so many other things to be tapped on top. So, but I agree, Jay. Like a lot of this comes back down to to script. But well, that's it. I mean, I'm, you I'm say sure he's fight- we're going to dig well, deeper into that. You say he's fighting an uphill battle, but it's it's, it's his own bloody fault if he is. Surely, well, I mean, I, I should. I think he's. I'm probably sounding far more. Um, charitable towards this so far I, and know, I, I don't know I should, about that <laughs> well I should lay it out right now I have only this is the only game in all the decades I've been playing video games this is the only game I have ever regretted buying I hold a special sort of level of contempt for this game to the point where I actually think on many levels David Cage is detrimental to the video games industry that's how much I've got a problem with what he says and that's the complete opposite of how I not, not that I think it's a great game but yeah I yeah. There's there's reasons I think, and I think Sean was probably the same. I think there's there's reasons to appreciate what this game tries to achieve, even if it never quite manages to hit those heights. Like I, I you know, the fact that he's an industry which you know it feels at time times is you know devoid of imagination. Well, I mean that's a, a big statement to make, but like he he at least tries to do something slightly different, even no, if it becomes yeah, failure. I, I hear this. I hear this all the time and people saying at least he's trying something different. But as I've said before, I feel David Cage, he's a fucking snake oil salesman. He goes up on stage and talks the talk, but never delivers. He is not, of all the three games that he's made that he's, he's, he's been part of, that, you know, despite all their ambition, they have failed. And they've failed and sometimes quite miserably well, in what they've, and- what they've tried to achieve. Did- to to keep the cane in its way, I, you know that is I think you know that's obviously your pretty strong opinion on it. But you know mm. from our correspondence and and from a lot of people, I mean the game did review well, um, very well, and they and yes, uh, I think people had a much overall had a had a decent reaction to it while acknowledging its flaws. But for some, the, the flaws that were acknowledged were were too much, mm-hmm. you know, to to keep the game in any any standing. But um, yeah, I think I think Jay is. Jay is well known for having a particular axe to grind with this game, and I think that especially relates not only to the the flaws which we're we're already touching on. Um, and as I say, you know, don't forget we have already praised the technical side of the game, the audio visual side. Um, but it but it is it does come down a lot to the big reveal, I think, for Jay. Which oh, and I <laughs> I'm behind Jay on that, and I, I think even. You know, big fans of the game, although they can, you know, I've seen some elaborate arguments of, of let's just spoil it, how Scott Shelby is the the, the killer, or is one the of, uh, yeah one of the main playable characters is the killer. That's yeah, that's the clincher. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the first whatever percentage of the game, what, uh, what percentage would you say? So you find it like ninety percent. It's like really right at the out. end. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's actually I was surprised going through it this game actually mm. how late on. 
that right. reveal was. It, it's it is very much at the end. It's the last few scenes which. And he's been this likable, schlubby, you know, classic, probably the most noirish character in a lot of ways. You know, your classic down at heel, uh, former cop turned private dick. Um, You see him doing very tender and sensitive things, changing a nappy and, you know, these famous scenes, saving someone from suicide. Um, And... And despite this, despite spending hours in his presence, it's uh, it's suddenly revealed very late in the game that he's in fact the one who's uh, drowning these children. <laughs> it doesn't ring very true for a lot of people. It doesn't no. But the the very idea of it actually is kind of cool. I think that it, the whole time you've been playing the bad guy, but it's not sold at all in this particular game. Well, the, mm. the, yeah, I mean that. It actually, I actually got physically angry when that scene <laughs> came up because it didn't. And here's, and here's, you know, I, I still, I know exactly why. It's because it was at that point. I felt that, and I'm going to say David Cage, even though you know there was obviously other people making this game. He didn't write the codes and do all, you know. He, but he's the he's the lead creative. Mind well, he, behind he, he would like to take all the praise. So, well, I, I this is it. I mean, the, him to you know, in, the, in the years since Heavy Rain, I, I've grown a particular disdain for him because it feels like he is the only person who works at Quantic Dream. Because for all you, you know, for all you'd know, he is. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's at that point in the game where it's revealed that he's the killer. I felt mm. it was like he was saying he was underestimated. He underestimated the intelligence of his audience. He thought we were stupid enough to not see every single plot hole at that point. And, and, and to, to, it just, I couldn't accept that, it, you know, it, it, I got angry because I felt like he was, he was, he was yeah. taking the piss I, of all the stuff that had gone before it. Every, and I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, there's, there's different ways that people can play <laughs> games. Some people, you know, everybody has their own sure, particular yeah. way. Some people just skim through, barely taking notice of all the details. I'm not one of those people. I was making notes on, or who, you know, all the clues and all that stuff. So when that happened, and it just, it just, on no level did it make sense. On any level did it make sense. Well, I, think I was we, actually we probably need to set up the game a little bit for for people that haven't actually played it and want to know roughly, you know, why we're so angry about the reveal. I think we need to have a little bit of basis of, yeah, yeah, of what yeah. the game is and and why the reveal is such a uh, a shock, surprise, joke, you know, <laughs> cheat, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah, cheat. That's you know. Go on, Tony. You oh, it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, Sean's, it's Sean's baby. So no, no, no. You, you guys are better at telling stories than I. Am, so. Um, well, I, there's um, there's the main character. I, I wasn't going to guess that the main character would be Ethan, um, who's a, a, a father of two, and uh, you 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 go out for a shopping. Was it with one of your sons? Um, who gets unfortunately runs off and uh, gets hit by a car and killed. Right. Uh, yeah. This sort of. Yeah, I mean, them, except except right. actually, Ethan Mars, the dad who gets hit by the car, <laughs> should <laughs> happen because okay. he dives in front of the car, smothers the child, but the child still dies, uh, which I suppose is probably possible, but it but it seems a bit weird. Yes. I guess he just didn't cover. He probably banged his head against the road or something. His, but... his father probably killed him. Yes, effectively. <laughs> yeah. um, and Crippled this then puts a, a spiral of events. Um, into the game now but over over the top of this there's the uh, murders have been happening from the origami killer it's a killer who kills his victims and then you know puts puts them out in the places to be fine of a little origami figure next to them are drowned that the victims are drowned and that's where then a host of characters 
Is oh, what's his name? Norman. Norman. Norman Jaden. Yeah. Norman uh, Jaden. FBI, FBI agent uh, by way of France. Uh, <laughs> you're introduced to him, who's in, investigating uh, the murders, um, and uh, with a special pair of magic mm. glasses and and an uncanny inability. Uh, ability to uh, act on perfect hunches. <laughs> like all FBI agents. With a drug habit. And with a massive drug habit. <laughs> Mysterious drug yeah, habit. Yeah, that's never been <laughs> spotted by his co-workers. Um, and nope. through ridiculous <laughs> plot um, explanation, um, Ethan manages somehow to get caught up within with the origami killer, um, who is Scott Shelby, we finally find. Uh, Scott Shelby, who's a, a private detective, um, Who's been well? I don't know mm-hmm. he's just he was, he was a cop, wasn't he? But he was a he's a private yeah. detective uh, investigating different things, and he's been going around. Which you don't know as you're playing the game. He's been going around actually talking to the uh, the mothers and yeah, well actually it's the mothers and the parents of mm-hmm. the children that, that he's been killing. That he's been killing. Um, and you think he's doing the private eye detective thing, but he's not. In fact, he's just trying to mm-hmm. clear up all the clues along the way and the evidence he may have left. They've handily um, not given to the police. No, yes, no. Um, but. He decides, and this, I mean, talk about annoying plot stuff here. He decides after Ethan has, you know, sacrificed himself by jumping in front of a car to save his child, he decides to put him to the test. Um, well, this is it. The, the motivation from the very start is bullshit by that token. Completely. But, um, so he decides to put him to the test. Now his other son is then uh, taken from him and uh, put down a storm drain. In Sean! The, uh, Sean, yes, uh, Sean and Jason, look at that, um, has put down to Storm Drain. Now, the idea of the, the, t- the title, Heavy Rain, is as the rain is falling, um, it's only, these murders only happen, and, you know, they work out only a, a heavy rainstorms, but the Storm Drain slowly starts to rise up, and his father's only got so, many, so long to actually find his son, and he then gets these trials that have been sent to him, uh, and he has to go through a, a whole selection of trials before he finds the final message of where his son's being held to go and rescue him at the very end of the game. Along the way, you obviously have the private detective who you play, Scott Shelby. You have Madison, who is a... Totally uh, re- inconsequential character well, at the end of the day. <laughs> she is a reporter. Now, she gets involved with Ethan uh, as you know throughout the game. Um, mm. And it can be sexually if you choose to do so. But she gets involved with him. Um, her breasts have no physics no they don't um, and there, so that's basically the plot so the, you you have a guy whose son is in peril he's already lost his son and, and Phil you know the, the, I guess the tagline is how far will you go to save your child um, and you know the trials are, are there to you know to for you to decide as a player whether you can go ahead and, and complete some of the tasks that are asked from upon you and there's there's lots of plots and subplots and yeah. characters that are interlinked with, between there now I think the the anger from from Jay and, and many other people is that is Scott Shelby, who turns out well, to be the no, origami but, killer. Well, look, I mean, what you've just described there, now you think that's a really good idea for a video game. Like, you know, a really good idea for a story, end of. But it's the way that it's handled from the very beginning, from every single mm. kind of plot device that is so contrived or just badly written. Uh, like illogical at most times it, it's just this constant stream of stuff but the the actual reveal of the identity of the killer is the crux of it that's just the yeah, that's the bit where the, i yeah, exploded it's, it's just cards. you know it's just one one that for some reason all the little bits that preceded that for some reason i could kind of turn a blind eye to it because you know and maybe it's um 
you know, it's not a great way of putting it, but because it's a video game, I think mm-hmm. back in 2010, I was willing to be more forgiving. But when it came to that bit, that's where I drew the line. I thought, no, no, you cannot assume your audience is stupid enough to believe that he well, could possibly be so, the killer. So it trips over it itself in a number of areas. And, and I think these are things we can talk along the way before really digging into the story anymore, which is to get out. You know, it is a video game and it, it's not a, it's not a story mm-hmm. as much as it's this interactive experience, which David Cage kept telling us that there is video gamey parts to it. Uh, mainly it's, it's a very fancy point and click adventure. You need to find clues within the environment, which give you an idea of what's actually going on, who the killer could be. And they're all meant to be leading towards that. So you know, you control your, your character around looking at stuff and, and picking up different items, but that's all very, it's, it's all, it always seemed very safe to me. Like there, there's not really a puzzle. It's just find the stuff in the environment. Um, and sometimes it works really well. Like there's a, there's a, I think actually a really decent scene inside the clock shop where, um, you know, the police have been called, um, we won't go down that plot hole, but the police have been called and um, you need to escape and you don't want them to alert. Oh, yeah, you. this is where yeah. Shelby uh, calls the police on himself but doesn't give him enough time to escape. But yes, of course, I at know, this yeah, point, yeah. you don't but know that I'm Shelby's... talking about from a gameplay point of view. From So from a gameplay yes, yeah. point of view is that you have to wipe all your fingerprints from the environment that mm. you've been. Mm. Now, a lot of people, there's I believe there's a trophy or there, there's a you're, you'll get arrested if you leave any fingerprints. And a lot of people actually don't, pay attention to what's happening within the environment. So you play as, as Scott at this point, and what you need to be doing is is looking at, oh no, what's her name? Lauren? Lauren. Lauren, yeah. yeah. So Lauren's actually um, walking around the, the store, picking up different objects and items, and you really need to be paying attention to what she's actually doing. So from a gameplay point of view, I think that's quite interesting, actually having to get rid of your fingerprints, you know, Taking a bit more of a you know a sense of what's actually happened in the environment rather than you just standing there and you know seeing a conversation mm. play out like a like a film would have done. So mm. there, there's gameplay stuff in there, but another problem which you know I, I can see where this comes from, and and this is that you have access to the characters' thoughts uh, patterns. So I. I'm, I mean, just played it. I can't remember the, the, the button you press to to bring up L two. Yes, yeah. L two. You you press um, to bring up their internal thoughts, and the idea of that is to to guide the player on on you know the rough areas which they're meant to be going, or a rough idea of where they are. And I think you know this comes from Fahrenheit, where uh, you know it had a, a similar idea, but a lot of the time you were quite baffled of where you were meant to be going and what you're meant to be doing. And I I think they stuck this in to kind of combat that, but at the same time. It then comes back to bite mm-hmm. him in the ass when you're playing as Scott <laughs> Shelby, this you know killer, and you're you're seeing his internal monologues and thoughts, and at no point <laughs> is there anything there that would suggest that he you know there is a switch inside of him which makes him a, a complete and utter murderer. Um, they, he'll even say stuff like, "Oh man, it's a shame I couldn't get anything out of them. Could have led me somewhere. Could have given me a good lead." Mm-hmm. And like he doesn't need a lead; he knows exactly, exactly who the killer yeah. is. Him, so yeah. Yeah, that's, but, that's the con. I think that's that's yeah. the, that's the way yeah. which I, I felt yeah. conned was was the the actual. It's it's basically yeah. It's it's bull, the game's bullshitting mm-hmm. you. At least you know if it was one of those where it, like you know the the Sixth Sense or Fight Club, one of the the famous twist movies, um, where you go back and watch mm-hmm. it again and you go, oh yeah, yeah. okay, that was mm-hmm. clever. Oh yeah, they put that in there, and that actually there were loads of clues. And you know sometimes people work it out as they go along. With you know the Sixth Sense, a lot of people would have got that first time through but you can still watch it again and go oh yeah this was fun um but it, it's it's i'm not saying films 
you know, films definitely do have huge plot holes. There are any number <laughs> of YouTube videos which are dedicated to pointing out all the mistakes in even really well-received films, which, you know, it's kind of reductive, but also it does make a point that actually, you know, if you're watching a film like Star Trek Into Darkness or Avengers Assemble, there's loads of idiotic bullshit going on in those movies that has no reason or purpose, but it's all moving on at such a pace and it's so entertaining and there's so much to look at that you can't, you don't spot it first time through, you know, unless you're, you know, super on the ball with that kind of thing. <laughs> but Heavy Rain doesn't have that pace. It doesn't have the script. It doesn't have the pizzazz or the charisma. So you're just constantly going, but why? And for me, you know, I was hoping that my hope that was, was that all the time I was playing it through until the reveal was that all the things that I assumed were plot or so, so I hadn't mm. assumed were plot holes. I assumed were going to be filled in. Yeah. You know, why is Mars waking up with origami in his hand yeah. after blacking right. out? Yeah. Um, why did Madison freak out when she, when she had the, you know, um, the identity revealed to her and all this stuff, it's never answered because Cage never had any intention of answering it. He only had, as far as I'm concerned, he only ever had the twist in his head. He had the idea, we're going to make one of the playable characters the baddie, mm -hmm. and that's going to be so wowing that everyone's just going to well, forget and, and what there happened was before. A lot of talk about um, the fact that this game, there was a, an open ending to it. So depending what actions you committed through the game, it would have led to actually who the killer was at the end of the game. Um, that was something that they, by the sounds of it, they were striving to. Uh, which is really, once again, really dangerous territory because mm -hmm. if, you, if you're going to focus on, you know, games are very good at doing, you know, narrative strands and, and weaving them together. But whenever you see games trying to attempt multiple different endings, it, it's it's very dangerous indeed. And certainly when you're hanging something so heavily on story, just suddenly making, you know, Madison the murderer would have been, I think, disastrous. Um, so by the sounds of it, they abandoned that. And that, that was a fair chunk way through the project. And, mm. it, and it's almost like they've gone, well, we need one person, so we'll make it Scott. And, yeah. and we kind of fix and break and bring stuff together to make, you know, to make that make some sense. Yeah, there's um, a lot of, they feel like there were a lot of sort of bits of leftover in there in terms of sort of stories that were started but never finished or or um or certain actual inconsistencies in terms of the ages of the characters and the time frames and things well, that, like that. Well that's mm -hmm. that's the particular uh, I mean everything you've just said about Scott in the clock shop is relevant but it it was the fact that the character model the way that well, you're supposed to believe you you're supposed to be kept guessing that the killer might be Ethan Mars so the killer has is is supposed to be of a certain age a similar age to him Every all everything is pointing to that direction, but yet when it's revealed as as Shelby, that was I mean maybe it's a shallow thing, but it was it was it was the fact that his character model looked the way it did. He was a retired police officer, which they clearly stated. Now there's a lot of reasons you could be retired, but it was uh, you know it it was never clarified. Say that he he was you know particularly young. He, he didn't look young. The character model was made to look like he was a guy in his late fifties. Yet he's supposed to be um, round about sort of thirty-eight to forty years yeah. old, mm. and 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 that's why when it's revealed, it's it's just it's it's a complete. <laughs> it felt like a complete cheat. It just felt like, you know, we're not we're not going to make the effort here. We're just going to put him. In, you know, uh, everything that tells you it's not him. I also um, which revealed you know right at the very end of the game. It, it to me, it's actually I can almost. Oh. Um, Mm. <laughs> forgives the struggle, but I, I can almost understand what David Cage was going through. Um, you know, 
you know, who yeah. did it, Mystery Murder. I, I kind of get that. But I think when you when they reveal um, Scott's story about his father being, you know, really abusive and, and having no time for him, and ultimately um, Scott's brother is, is dies because of his father's uh, negligence uh, down a storm, well, falls down the storm drain and, and essentially drowns. So Scott's whole um, motive for doing this is to find a person that is brave or is you know worthy enough to be a true father mm. to a to a child and so he does this by killing children and like yeah. that's the thing that really got me is like well ultimately you're 10 times worse than your father and now I could understand that from somebody with a, with a real spit personality you know if there's a, you know a, a point throughout that game they go okay Scott yeah, Shelby's clearly become schizophrenic yeah. or or psychopathic Unhinged, or a combination but, yeah but there you know up until i'd say about 94% of the game he seems a perfectly reasonable guy there's there's no allusions to to scott shelby being that at all so it none of that just ever rings true and the fact that the, the person he chooses is a guy that really has already you know jumped in front of a, a moving car to save his child. Like yeah, what? It's, what more do you want from a person? He like, he, he proved that he was willing to you know to his life. But what does he do when he finds the guy who is the father who saves his son? Try to he kill decides him. that he has to kill him because <laughs> they know who he is. And it's yeah. like of all the stupidity you could ever imagine in a story. Yeah, I, I agree with Jay, but what I really, uh, as I say, I'm really keen that this doesn't just turn into a, a hatchet job on the game. And I'm, I'm interested in, uh, I'm not actually sure, I know, Tony, you've replayed it, but I don't know how you felt about it first time around. But I do know that, Sean, uh, you you had a lot of uh, a lot of love for this game. Um, and I, I, I want to know... You know what? What it was? Did did you get an emotional kick out of it? What were these plot holes? Just, just was it everything else was so good? The atmosphere and and the ideas that that just took you past these problems we're now highlighting. Well, I, I mean, strangely enough, for me, it was the gameplay. Okay. I actually thought the action sequences are are really well shot and done well, and they are for me they were a little exhilarating in spots like and and. For me, one of the best parts of the game is when I think it's like the fourth trial or something, uh, where he goes to the drug dealer and he's supposed to kill him, and um, he's chasing you through the house, shooting up the place, which is weird by in and of itself because it's an apartment building, um, and no one yeah. calls the cops. But he, um, <laughs> but that whole sequence is actually pretty thrilling to for him like diving underneath and it's telling you to hit the prompt buttons in the right places. So you're actually and, getting a kick out you know, of the reacts and the way that the the scenes are directed, yeah. and that's kind of that's that, yeah. As as individual like vignettes, I think actually they all yeah. kind of work. They the scenes themselves as they happen work really well for me. But when you string it all together, it totally falls I, apart. I think you know I'm I'm basing this on on three and a half year old memory. I played it once, which is what David Cage wanted. Um, you know why now? <laughs> <don't you? laughs> but actually, you know, again, I think my. I, I was into the game for the first. Uh, how long is it? Like ten hours? Something yeah, like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I was certainly into it for for a good long period, and I and I was willing to forgive. It was a combination of of 
wanting to go with it. You know, I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to get the most out of it. I'd spent 40 quid on it. And, mm. you know, I was intrigued by what the demo had shown. I wasn't sure about the, the sci-fi detective glasses. And, and there were clearly elements that were going to mm. be problematic. But I wanted to get that experience. And I certainly did. I know exactly what you're talking about, Sean. Those certain scenes in, in the moment, when you're in the moment, when you are performing the QTs and they are presented in an interesting way. And obviously you have the audio visual side, which is very strong. And in those moments, I can't deny that I was engaged with the game. I think there were certain scenes which, uh, you know, the, the generally involving Madison, um, showers, sex, uh, sexy dancing, um, hiding in a, a, a an Indiana Jones-style uh, nuclear fridge moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just it was those sorts of things that I think my, my affection for the game sort of started to tail off probably around the halfway stage. And then, and then comes, you know, then comes mm. the big reveal and you're basically, you know, it's like, fuck you. We're never going to fill in all those plot holes. They were just there to trick you mm -hmm. basically. And, and so I think, you know, it is one of those games where you can, you can come away, you know, you can have enjoyed a chunk of it and certain things about it, but still come away mm. never wanting anything well, to do with it ever again. And that, I, I completely agree with Sean, actually, or both of you on, on this point. I mean, the the way I describe it as, and this may rattle a few cages, but I'll, I'll go with it anyway. But I kind of feel like it, to me, it was it felt quite like Mass Effect 2 um, in the way that, it, you know, my biggest problem from, from Mass Effect 2 compared to Mass Effect 1 was that Mass Effect 1 had this, you know, interesting overarching stories where characters linked to it and you were playing, you know, through that story. My big problem with Mass Effect 2 was that you know, you had these little vignettes of, of characters and, you know, they were fine enough on their own, but it felt like, you know, it was missing this overarching story to tie them all together. Now, some people don't agree with me there, but I felt like it was a very bitty experience. And I, and I come <laughs> away with the same feeling with Heavy Rain, in which case, that I, you know, I, I've jotted down a number of scenes, you know, the, the game's not short and there's probably the best part of 30, 40 scenes that you play through. And I've jotted down 10 scenes, which I, you know, I thought were of, of quite, you know, of good, of good interest, of good gameplay, mm -hmm. of, you know, stuff that had me on the edge of my seat. Now, the problem with that, they are vignettes. So they're great as, you know, individual set pieces. But if you tie them together in any way within to the story, they fall down on their ass. So, they're, I mean, it, it's like a bunch of really interesting <laughs> short films or tech demos that, that you play through. But they just, as a whole, they don't particularly yeah. sit very well so that's not what he's going for is it no I mean, no that, and it's that, not at all no yeah um so yeah but the, the, some of the trials i, I think are, are really quite effective you know you, i mean you can like the the broken you know climbing through the broken broken glass yeah, slight slight issues with how that was set yes. up yes um and mm -hmm. and working your way through the electric fences mm -hmm. um through you know from fairly different but difficult button presses but you know i thought that was you know quite yeah. a, a tense and, and gripping scene and the same way as you know cutting your finger off was like you could be all gung-ho about it or at that stage i was like well like, okay well i clearly want to save my son here so i'm gonna do this deed now yeah you know, there's a number of items that are lying around the environment do i use the hatchet do i use this and there was a moment between well what's gonna be more you know sensible in this situation i'm not just going to saw my finger off of the saw i probably should use this sharp bladed object and like that and there is some emotional resonance within within those decisions what i was surprised by actually is how far away from um, fahrenheit this game wanders um uh -huh. 
because the, the reason I, I really enjoyed certainly the first half of Fahrenheit is because of all the incidental stuff of you know waking up in the morning, you know, brushing your teeth, doing doing all that stuff, and, and heavy rain starts off strong there. You know, you wake up as Ethan and you know, have to shower and do the same stuff. It's all very Fahrenheit, but it, it felt mm. that quickly it, it got away from that and it became about you know these big dramatic set pieces time and time again. So you know, there's out the thirty scenes, there's probably fifteen where you have a fight. And they just, they start to wear really thin, like, oh, so another fight, you know, this time is it with Madison in their underpants or is it, you know, with, you know, with, with his you know, glasses on or, and some of the, the super, more supernatural elements of, of Norman, the, the police detective, the, the glasses that can see all the clues and stuff mm-hmm. around you. I understand how it works. I mean, that's basically detective vision from the Batman games, but. It it just didn't feel like you know it felt like the game was set very much in reality and suddenly we have this weird yeah. futuristic it, sci-fi it's, tech. It's a it's a thing that I've often felt with David Cage or, or Quantic Dream, but him again. But um, it's he doesn't have an editor. He doesn't have somebody who's going to stand up to him and say that's a crap idea. Don't put it in. It's like you look at Fahrenheit, he falls apart because it gets stupid with the story. It gets kind of silly and and you know, fantastical. Arguably Nomad Soul is entirely that like that and right from the from the off, it's just bizarre. And I feel that this is the same. It's like the bits that you know, are amongst many bits, but the, the AR glasses just feel it's it's like where you take well why why do this? Why it doesn't need it. And it's it's like you say all the little incidental bits so what sell you what could potentially sell you on a character. It's it's like when you you play The Last of Us, it's those little incidental little dialogues well, that go on between it's... it that sell those characters to the player. But the characters in this game don't have any real personalities to the point where I give a damn. And it's just sorry, Jay. I just I, no. I, I think the answer to that, and I fought long and hard after playing the game the first time around, and, and certainly playing through this time, you know, knowing what all the beats were playing through it, was I I just I don't think for as much as David Cage has a very gung-ho nature about, you know, what he, what he's developing. I actually don't think he's truly behind the idea of the project in its entirety. So let me explain this. Like mm. a good film is a good film. If it, you know, the script is, is always important. The, the performances are always important, but you think about 90% of film, which are character based. There's not an action scene. Every other scene there's downtime, there's conversations, there's the bits that you do between, between your know, relationships. Um, and when he go, I personally think when he goes down that route in in heavy rain and, and Fahrenheit, that's when the games are most interesting. I think when he he, he tries to be more game centric is where you know all the mm-hmm. button presses and you know these big action scenes because there's so many they there's no gravitas to any of them, um, and that's why at the very start there's you got the um, the Madison scene where you don't realise but she's having a dream but she's being attacked in her apartment now yes she's in the skinnies and yes there's a shower scene but the moment mm. she she walks out that door and sees the fridge open like I, I think we've all been in our house at some point and thinking something doesn't quite feel right and like mm-hmm. 99.9% of the time it's just you know the wind's blowing in a weird direction but I, you know I can't imagine somebody being in my house and then having to, to fend for my life and I thought that scene worked really well because it, it's fairly unique within gaming um, because it, it like it doesn't like it, I don't know, it's, it feels like it's trying to drive towards something quite interesting. It's just, you know, a slow, interesting scene. Um, you know, and if you think of books and films, like, you know, they, they have faith in, in their literature. And I feel like David Cage is caught between a place of wanting to make a, you know, a gaming experience as well as a, uh, this grand story. 
and like that's happened. I mean, Uncharted, I guess, you know, is a touchstone last of us. Like there's there's games which can achieve that. But I think they're just mm-hmm. they're bold and they go, Yes, there is gameplay elements to this. And I feel like David Cage almost puts him in as like, well, games have got to have this right. And I kinda of want him to see him going the other way and, and make some you know, there's talks that he wants to make a Shakespearean play. And I think it's all very bold and brave, but I think there is room to make a game where it's more incidental well, than and gameplay. I think I think when you start referencing stuff like that, I think the word pretentious comes to mind. But he goes on stage and says how how much he has disdain for violence and and and, and action games and all the rest of it, and then puts all this crap in his <laughs> games anyway. Yeah. And it's like you know you, you do come across as a bit of a hypocrite when you keep going back on all the and uh, you know his constant referral to emotion is 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 one of the things that i find particularly uh, sort of frustrating with his games because he seems to completely miss the point and his his idea of emotion does seem to be limited to fear and tears yeah. it's not you know and and also you know i think i think there are i wasn't on the fahrenheit uh, podcast cuz i didn't have time to uh go back and complete it sadly um but I think, you know, there are a couple of elements about Fahrenheit or Indigo Prophecy that tell you a lot about David Cage. One is, uh, I know Jay's a particular fan of the fact that he put put himself in his own game. <laughs> Hi, I'm David Cage. Um, but also, I think even more telling was the unlockable sexy nude scene uh, from Fahrenheit. You know, um, he'll he'll do whatever it takes. You know, to so, get... so what's your problem with? I mean, obviously, you, you've brought this up a couple of times. So, so what's the issue with there being sex scenes within this game uh i just i just think that i don't have a problem with sex scenes in games i have a problem with uh awkwardly crowbarred in female nudity Mm. uh and and sexuality where again this is you know my word against his if you like but it felt to me like it was entirely gratuitous um Mm. and there to serve titillation rather than any attempt at storytelling or anything interesting or mature whatsoever. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, certainly in Fahrenheit, I think that was the case. Yeah, and and in, and in this one, I, I would imagine that someone from Quantic Dream or David Cage would come back and say, "Well, you see Ethan Mars's ass in the beginning," but I mean, we all know it's not the same as seeing someone's tits. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. It didn't it didn't I, like I, offend me, but it's, it's it, when I saw when I, I saw it, I was like, oh, that is totally unnecessary. You don't. But need once that. again, it's it's a huge <clears throat> brushstrokes, isn't it? It's there, there's no subtlety to it. I, you know, from 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 his point of view, I can see how you can say, well, you know, there, there needs to be more openness about, you know, and more of a conversation about nudity within within games, and you know, there's so but much. But that's violence. just it, though. His his idea of mature themes or maturity in games comes down to sex. And and it's like you think that that's all it is. Sex and violence is is how we're going to deal with maturity. It's got nothing to do with it. It's like that's so not yeah. missing the point. Well, my, my bigger also, problem with his, the sex scene is that that it just it makes no sense from a, a story point of view. That you know, even <laughs> at this point, the lowest point of his life, he's missing. He's scarred. He's bruised. He's missing a finger. You know, he's he's got to do his final trial. But hey, let's get a little bit of nookie on with this <laughs> with this woman. I actually, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think actually, if you were offered in that situation some kind of comfort, some mm-hmm. sense of being wanted, and all that kind of, you know, that. Kind of stuff. I, I don't think that's an outrageous well, I, I think, idea. No, yeah, and 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 there's also maybe the idea that he wants to control something that's happening in the moment, right oh, there. Maybe, but 
it's not sold in that way. But there w- mm. there could have it, been better ways to sell. It would that, have so. helped if Madison Page was a more rounded character. It, it's weird actually that, that there's a um, there's a scene they they release this DLC which was taken out of the game called the Taxidermist, mm. and um, yeah. at least I mean in, in that scene it's it's quite a I think it's almost an hour long mm-hmm. piece of DLC, but um. In that, you, you see her being a reporter. So she goes off, you know, she's in, investigating, you know, can this person be the origami care? What is, what is a joke here is that Madison throughout the game gets attacked by no less than three serial killers. Um, she's just, you know, one of these people which obviously, you know, <laughs> the wrong place at the wrong time. But the fact that she goes as a reporter to this place and, and uncovers him, um, you know, to, you know, he's not the the origami killer. He turns out just to be a, a, mm-hmm. a, a average Joe serial killer. But um, you know, she's doing some reporting where her her place in the game seems very much as a titillation thing, um, and well, as a titillation thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this. I mean, he keeps coming. But I mean, I know my personal take on this, and it, my opinion of the game hasn't changed in the three years since I played it, but. It, it, my disdain for him is because of all this stuff. I mean, he keeps coming on, keeps getting these offers to go on stage and give these lectures about stuff where he, he goes out there and says that he finds <laughs> that he prefers to write female characters because he finds it easier yeah. to write female characters and they can be more emotive. Yeah. And then you look at his female characters and you think, what the fuck planet are you on? You know, it's like, really? Is that how you you see yeah. your female characters where the first sequence she's in a shower, the second sequence she's getting raped, attacked in a in a living room in her underwear, the sequence where she goes to the nightclub, she has to strip naked, then there's the sex scene. And then oh let's not forget the doctor where he then uh, tries to sort of rape you with an electric power drill. But I, I, what the I, fuck? I think he would argue that um as much as you could you could see that, I mean there is a, a part of um, you know, she fights back on all these uh, situations. So, you know, mm. as a stripper, she's using her body to to gain entrance into um, you know the back door if, if you like and then from there she smacks him over the head with a, a can, can of erotic armor. thriller logic films made by men for men not okay yeah, well, I, I'm talking from you know, I'm just being a discussion point here what I think you know ultimately he's going for and, and I think you know that she isn't raped she fights back she stabbed those two guys within the dream um, a lot of the time she, she is a woman that makes her she does a you know She's quite strong-willed, even if she is being used as t- titillation at many times. She, you know, there's no point. Do you feel like she's a weak character? I feel like she's just using some of the. So it could be worse, is what you're saying. Well, it, could it be, can be, could be because it depends game, entirely yeah. how you play it. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. But is it Lauren? Yeah. I've, I don't know why I've forgotten her name, but you know, she's a a prostitute that her, her yeah. son is uh, is also being murdered, and she she teams up with Scott Shelby. I think that she was quite a an, an interesting character that you know was you know would wanted to find out all the information she could about her son, even if she didn't go to the police, she went to a private detective. <laughs> I think one of our forumites, uh, Wastrel, uh, a female forumite, pointed out that I think the percentage of men to women in the game is uh, is is like 80, 85% male to female characters in the game, which is obviously, you know, you can argue it's reflective of that story, but is it reflective of the world? You know? I, I am amazed no. that we have got this far without actually talking about the controls. <laughs> <laughs> We've we've brushed across the controls, but we should certainly move on. So um, go for it. But, Are we talking dual shock or move? Yeah. We're talking both. Now, <laughs> so David Cage wants you to be entirely, you know, enveloped by this story. Um, but he saddles you with a control system, which you know at times is broken, at worst is awful. Um, where 
at least in Fahrenheit, you had the ability as a character to move around with the left analog stick and, and make your decision. Yes, you, there was some fumbling around with the right analog stick of, of you know, well, I'm opening a cupboard. Am I doing it right? Like, and, and I kind of like that. You know, it just adds yeah. a little bit more of a, a deeper touch. But in this, you am I opening the cupboard right? No, my legendary can I climb a drain pipe? No, I can't for twenty minutes. <laughs> um, will haunt me for the rest of my life from, from Fahrenheit. But in in heavy rain, he, he decides to go with a really awkward control scheme, which is R two to walk, and then you move the character around with the stick and mm. tank control. Yeah, it it just it's it's at sort odds of. with everything else. It it seems to. To be, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to be implemented for absolutely no reason whatsoever, um, other than maybe not wanting the camera to spin round from a from it. a fast point of view. To do with camera control, because they've only modelled, you know, because it, I mean, it's very much a virtual movie in that mm-hmm. clearly only some sides of the set have been built. Right, and and when we were talking on Fahrenheit about the controls there. I remember it came up that we would be like, you know, you're running and you're just pushing the left stick to run forward. And then it'll cut to a different angle and we'll be running an opposite way that we were intending to. And I think in this one, they kind of, I think he was trying to fix that, which if you're holding down R2, no matter which way the angle cuts, you're still going to be walking the direction you were walking. It still feels awkward though. Like it's, he should have, it shouldn't have been, oh, sorry. So instead of <clears throat> like one or two awkward individual moments, I then have an awkward moment through 10, <laughs> 10 hours of an experience. Yeah. I mean, the problem there is that he should have been fixing the camera angles, not the actual yeah, controls. Yeah, it, it just it, well, you know, it, it just seems to go outside of the the book for absolutely no reason. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's no benefit to me. That felt like there was no benefit to having tank controls in that game, um, other than the weird camera issue. And then, I mean, what was funny was they they released a, like a super duper edition, you know, with a DLC added and also move support. Um, and I think they patched move support into the, the game if you owned it, didn't they? Um, mm-hmm. Which then make the controls even worse, <laughs> which I which I had previously thought wasn't possible. Uh, and one of one of our three word reviewers disagrees. Uh, um, I mean, I've only played a small section of it, but uh, you know, there, I had bits where I was trying to do you know the the movements, which is up, <laughs> down, left, and right, and, and do like the circles and stuff. And I kept getting not more natural. I kept getting red dots on screen where it's saying you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, and then the movement mm. is still. Awkward on top of that. I think you have to mm-hmm. press a button. No, it's been a while. It's been a while. I didn't I, this time around. I didn't use them. But it, it to me, it completely took me out of the experience um, more than I was ever. You know, if I was to be engrossed in the experience, if I was really yeah. loving the game and the scenes which I, I was enjoying, I felt like I was battling this weird, you know, gameplay mechanic of controls, which was absolutely no reason to be there. I could have kind of lived with. Um... The, you know the standard dual shock mm-hmm. controls. Uh, they, they they didn't. That's fine. They didn't particularly uh, rub me up the wrong way. And you know, um, the Walking Dead, uh, Telltale's Walking Dead, doesn't have particularly outstanding controls. Has a lot of weird moments and dodgy action scenes and stuff. Probably in some ways worse than Heavy Rains, but it has uh, great script. Uh, acting and, and a story, um, which when you're making this kind of game, those are the kind of more essential parts in some ways mm. for me. The good thing, well, for me, um, I feel like he gets better at mechanics, or at least between Indigo Prophecy. I think Heavy Rain is still mechanically a little bit more sound than Indigo Prophecy was. And having just played, um, I played the Beyond demo last night, and it, it, and again, mm. I feel like it's way more improved. So it's... It, 
he kind of he se- he seems to at least learn a little bit from his previous. Is there tank games? controls? There's no there? tank controls. No, you just left left stick to move. Your right stick just kind of glides the camera left and right. It doesn't go on 360 all the way around. And when you go to move stuff, mm. it's just a dot. You just push a button any way you want to, and they'll do the action. So there's no there's no way of like failing how to pick up a fucking piece of paper or open a door. You know, if you just flick that switch, they'll they'll do it. So. Mm-hmm. So he's learning. Yeah, he's trying. Seeing... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about Tony before we move on to correspondence, which may prompt a few more talking points, but obviously we are conscious of time. Um, I remember at the time uh, Jay and I were still on Gamer Dork when Heavy Rain came out, and um, Neil Brooks, uh, host there, he play he 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 said he got a real uh quotes gut punch out of heavy rain and he attributed that to uh being a parent and feeling the sting of losing a child or the, you know the uh, not not that he had but the the concept of it was more real and raw for him um because he had a child um jay and i don't have children sean i don't believe you have children no nope. um tony you played this first when you were not a parent and you've played it again now you are a parent um, do you think that had any bearing on your heavy rain experience? Uh, I mean, that, that, that is a difficult question. And I, I, I honestly can't remember in 2010, but, uh, um, no, I, I, I think, you know, as, as I mean, bear in mind, my girls are still very small, so I haven't had the experience where they've wandered off in the shopping mall and just disappeared. Yeah. I was going to say, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine how that could be terrifying. Um, I think there's, there's yeah, elements course, in that. And gotcha. I, you know, I, I think, you know, when, you know, Ethan's giving CPR to his son at the very end of the game. Well, depending, I suppose, if you got that ending, uh, you know, and it, for a stage, mm. he looks like he's dead. Like, I, I think, you know, you don't need to be a father to be, you know, somewhat emotionally engaged that you wouldn't want someone to, well, to lose it. their I'm child. I'm always leery of saying this to parents who are saying, you know, oh, you don't understand because you're not a parent. But, you know, we all have human emotions and we have, mm-hmm. we all have, we're all able to conceptualize, or most of us, with empathy, mm-hmm. <laughs> working empathy uh, chips. You know, maybe those of us who have considered um, having children, you know, mm-hmm. at various and, points of our lives. And there, well, sorry. Guys. Sorry, Tony, carry on. Oh, no, I was just going to say there are games like, I mean, I'm not a parent, but there are games that have triggered some kind of uh, fatherly empathy for me with like Red Dead Redemption or um, Bioshock 2. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know. And movie, you know, movies, you know, we all, as I say, you know, I remember listening to love songs when I was a, 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 an adolescent before I, mm-hmm. you know, managed to get a girlfriend or whatever. And you still understand basic human emotion and pain yeah, and stuff. But- and, you know, you could watch Sophie's Choice as a, as a child and still feel agonized at the idea of, you know, having to pick a, one of your children. That sort I mean, of thing. I, I guess like, I would then mm. phrase that to you of how you felt about The Walking Dead and, and its ending with Clementine. Hmm. I mean, because to me, I mean... Well, I can't compare... Yeah, it's true. I can't compare... Like, if you are a parent, you can compare it to how you think you might have felt mm. before you were a parent, whereas if you're not a parent, you can only... You can only imagine... I can't yeah. say for definite whether it would have a different effect on me. But certainly I had... You know, I had a bond with Clementine, like, I think virtually... Yeah, I mean, she everyone... was... She'd become the talking point of that that game and I, and I think you know when I when I had to make that you know grander decision at the end I mean ultimately that's her growing up as, a, as you know going from a an adolescence to a you know to an adult I guess um and I, I found that a you know more of an emotional punch of you know what what do I do in this situation um then I well that would be the writing and the yeah, characterization and, I, and, I, I mean, and the delivery this, this again, was going to be a question and it, maybe it's an end question but you know it's 
I guess we're wrapping up to there anyway, which is, you know, do we think that heavy rain was, you know, was an important stepping stone for something like the walking dead to, to latch onto, or, or do we think that the walking dead really actually, you know, has come out of mm. stuff more from the, uh, the comics or the TV series rather than seeing an older point and click adventures. Yeah. The, rather yeah. than seeing what, what was paved the way from a David Cage game. Cause I think I would, I would like to think heavy rain had nothing to do with the walking dead, but, I can't honestly say that maybe, maybe some people at Telltale saw certain things in what Heavy Rain was attempting, but possibly, arguably, and from my point of view, failing, falling well short of its ambition and intention. There are certain ideas, certain concepts about playing that kind of game, as I say, the... The fact that it's mostly not, you know, it's barely direct control of characters, um, but it is very story and character driven. And you, you know, you have these action sequences that are almost QTE like. It's impossible to say that they weren't at all influenced by it because there's every chance that they were. They were. Well, I mean, I, I, I only bring up The Walking Dead because I, I feel like that's the one where, you know, it's more of, you know, there is action within there, but it's very sporadic um, and it's more about how your interaction with the characters there. And, you know, if, if, and if I haven't taken anything away from Heavy Rain um, or the ideas of which I think David Cage has, you know, some of his fundamental ideas, which is a slower paced experience. You know, it doesn't have to be about, you know, killing people or sports or, or stuff like that. It can be very much about, you know, just everyday life. I mean, he, he loses it very rapidly, but I, I think like... There's a there's a fundamental thing behind both, well, maybe all three of his games that are interesting now. I, I feel like mm-hmm. just The Walking Dead took that and run with it and and didn't look back. And it's made you know ultimately now when you before it's very hard to look back from um, Heavy Rain and, and you know you'd have to point to point and click adventures and stuff. But I, I feel like there's been stuff since there which has kind of taken his ideals and just run with it and actually perfected it. Perfecting is the wrong word. Because there's, there's so much more that could be better from the Walking Dead point of view, but like I, I feel like they, you know, they got a, a general idea of what he was trying to achieve, and then just run with that ideal. Um, there was there was one moment in the game which which always stuck to mind, where I always felt it was indicative of something of a, of an idea that you know wasn't fulfilled. But it's the moment you're changing the baby's nappy. Hmm. And I kind of, uh, there was something that I did like about the scene, but it kind of, you, but I also understood that it, it didn't, whether it was meant to make me feel, in, which is bizarre because it's Shelby as well, um, some kind of empathy for the for the baby or whatever. It, it was hard because, it, you know, button prompts aren't going to do that. You know, it isn't about pushing up, side, you know, left or right on the trigger to change a nappy. That's not going to make me feel anything other than frustration if I get it wrong. But it's it's like maybe there's something in that idea that maybe like like Leon was saying that somebody somebody at another studio thought hmm I wonder you know and and took um, you know uh, sort of influence from it maybe as he said bettered it but um, I don't know Sean a stepping stone an important game what do you think yeah from actually what Jay was just saying right there I think it kind of is a milestone. Um, Basically, because like like we can sit here and discuss and and tear apart and put back together the script, and I think anybody can do that. And I think it's important that they do, especially if people who are going into writing or uh, making games on their own, like they can, they should see something like this, recognize what went terribly wrong and what went right, 
and hopefully make something better out of that in the future. And I imagine that there's that Walking Dead definitely, I think, had a bunch of Evergreen influence, and for better or worse, you know, I think they came out of it much stronger. Um, but I think it's worth experiencing so that you can see what went wrong and what went right. Hmm. I think at this point we should uh, bring in our correspondence now, as uh, as is often the case these days, especially with uh, games that a lot of people played. We've got way more uh, correspondence on the forum than we can possibly read out here. Um, so do visit the forum, canarince.com slash forum, and join in with the discussion. Uh, this is Todinho. In the end, Heavy Rain ends up with more plot holes than it knows what to do with, a cast of terribly flat characters, and some of the cringiest scenes of this generation. However, despite all this, I can't bring myself to hate the game or even dislike it for that matter. The good bits are just so good that they stick out much more for me, and no matter how, ba- how bad some parts got, I never really stopped having fun. So for me, it was a worthwhile ride, and I'm looking forward to the Ellen Page Chronicles and wherever the cage train goes next. He really should stop trying to write romance, though. Uh, yeah, Link- he should, sorry, he should write, stop to write um, romance, though, and, and definitely don't write um, ethnic characters either, for God's sake. Oh, man, yeah, I... I- I feel like I bring this up every time I'm on the show, but he, I, I, I feel like David Cage just doesn't has never known a black person or or uh, the angry Jack I remember character. The black guy this. from Fahrenheit being pretty bad. What's that? Uh, I remember the, the the black guy from Fahrenheit. That, yeah, uh, just, well, he's, he's just a cool dude, man. Yeah, he uh, he, you know, it's the way they deal with things around him that kind of come off as racist. Yes. You know, the funk music playing mm. when he walks anywhere or. or <laughs> You know the way he settles the dead is with playing basketball with somebody. But he's 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 at least a lighthearted character, and and the actor kind of sells him. But the character, the Angry Jack character, in this is just like the literally the first word he says is "Yo, cracker!" Mm. as he jumps off you know a truck. And (laughs) it's it's like it's like listening to a really bad Mr. T impression from the start. (laughs) It's just it's, it's. Absolute. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's unfortunate. It's, amongst yeah. the other stuff that I've got disdain for in this game, it, that's that's it's, one uh, of those that's at the top of the list. Is he also played by a white French dude? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know with the name. There's no picture on IMDb, mm. but um, I've no idea what you know what ethnicity mm. the actor is. But it's just a horrendous. Uh, yeah, it's really bad. Cliche. It's a stereotypical mm. kind of parody almost in, in, yeah. in what you would expect a, a black gangster to, to sound like in a really bad B movie. And, and, and <laughs> another thing that I think he kind of improves on is, or at least from what I saw in the beyond demo there, there's one or two black characters in there that aren't even remotely as bad. So hopefully someone, you know, well, one of them's played okay. by um, Kadeem Hardison, isn't he? So, you know, there's, there's, they've got real actors yeah, as well yeah. for a change. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, Link 6616 on the forum says, I really liked Heavy Rain when I was playing it, but looking back on it, I felt the game was riddled with plot holes and uh, Shelby being the murderer just feels dishonest when a core mechanic is essentially being able to listen to your character's internal monologue. However, the game looked great and even though it failed as a whole story, a lot of the smaller moments between characters and many single scenes are fantastic. Everything I see about David Cage's work makes me more and more confident that what he excels at is more short stories, as he can't seem to control such a large tale. I played the game much like David Cage has said it should be, a single playthrough running with whatever choices you did, no take-backs. A friend did a perfect playthrough, which admittedly has some cool moments, but it really didn't feel quite right to me. I do actually want, want to agree with that point. I do like the fact that it saves 
after any big moments. So you can't just switch off your mm. console and come back. I had, I had a couple of those, and I actually think it was more down to the broken controls and my own decisions. But I, I think the one that everybody fails roughly at is the the bit where the the car goes into the lake with Shelby and Lauren, and uh, um, yeah, she's yeah. tied to the yeah. steering wheel. But that's very it's very hard to notice that, and it gives you a couple of options. Um, and they're both pretty vague, but the one that makes the most sense, is, and uh, which ultimately is the wrong one, which is you smash out the window, and you know mm. she then sinks to her death. And yeah, at that point, exactly I, you know, what you're like, me. oh no. Um, and I, I admit, I first time round, I went, that's ridiculous because that wasn't what I wanted, and I turned the console off, um, back on again. It's like, no, that that is saved. That's the fate of her. And I was like, ah. So this time, I, <laughs> I made sure that I was like, no, I, I know which one to go for. And, and I know other people have fallen. I remember. Alex, um, back when we were doing Digital Cowboys, talked about um, he was trying to escape the burning building with Madison. Um, and, you know, once again, not highlighted very well. You'd think, you know, exit the window, leave the burning building. But the actual correct answer in that scene is get inside the fridge. Um, which, when you think about it... <laughs> oh, there is a way to get out. But, ways, yeah, but, but that's just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, know, and yeah. once again, the controls, yeah. you know, I, I, when I went first time, I, you know, I... I, I believe I did it, but I almost died because I was just fumbling around in this burning building. But, you know, it, once again, in that case, I know his game saved. He was very angry because that wasn't the destiny that which he saw for that character. And it was the mm, game, mm. you know, ultimately deciding that was her destiny because it was kind of broken in the way yeah. it played for him anyway. But, you know, at that point, so far at the end of the game, you just have to run with it. So mm. I can see how it works, good or bad. If, if the choices you made were the choices and they turned out wrong, then I'm glad they kind of stuck the way they did. Yeah, a huge topic that we haven't got time for now. But I mean, that's interactive fiction. If it if it wasn't for moments like that, then mm-hmm. what's the point in it being interactive yeah, exactly. uh, in a way? Yeah. Uh, Wastrel says, "Heavy rain isn't a joke. There are some moments that hit you through gameplay as a good game should. But goddamn, it wastes your time." Did anyone on staff stop to think about the story instead of blindly groping around for emotional responses? The ending is nonsense, conjured up to justify the red herrings the directors wanted it to have, just like a real movie, but couldn't earn because they didn't fully understand their own setting and characters. If they wanted a mystery, they shouldn't have given us a sci-fi toy that inexplicably provided 100% accurate explanations of clues. They lie to the player Mm -hmm. in cutscenes we have no reason to suspect and tell us the exact location of specific flowers in in throwaway gameplay segments. No ambiguity. I still have some affection for Heavy Rain, for how it had rooms filled with hundreds of small objects as opposed, for the re- as opposed to the repeating models of most games. It's seriously gorgeous. I wish the story was worth the world it took place in, because even the moment-to-moment stuff is pretty bullshit. The kids sound half their supposed age. Madison's scenes are formulaic in a gross way, running from men to first with nursing Ethan, and dialogue seesaws between stiff and melodramatic. Clichés are kicked up to 11. This killer leaves origami figures and orchids. (laughs) Most of all, the death of a child is the sort of nightmare that can be in your thoughts every waking moment and still seem impossible. If you need magic and tragic backstories to establish empathy for that, hire a writer. Uh, Spot on. (laughs) I I jotted this because it it made me laugh and I was replaying it again. Um, Madison turns to Ethan in in a moment where he's come back and he's all scarred and she turns to him and says... They say you're the origami killer. Is that the truth? <laughs> and you can say like, yeah, I think so. I'm not um, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just like, and there's very little emotion in the voice and 
Yeah. Mm. So, so if he turns around and says yes, I mean, like, she doesn't seem to be <laughs> game over. overly prepared for the, the scenario. Like, and she, although she's a reporter, so you could argue that she's there. She knows all this stuff already, but it, it was just so badly delivered. And this is the woman who freaked out when she's told who it actually is, mm. uh, mm. even though she has never met the person who it actually yeah. is. I, I've yeah. heard the 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 way to fill that plot hole in is, the, is that she uh-huh. doesn't hear the word Mars. So it doesn't see Ethan Mars, so that's what she's. But the, the reaction shouldn't have been surprise; it should have been relief if that was actually the case. But mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. still it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, regular correspondent Derek Ritchie says, "I like the ambition of David Cage, but feel his execution is flawed purely on the basis that creating intricate on-screen prompts to mirror actions does not necessarily make me, as a player, feel any more involved in what's going on in front of me." Dragon's Lair never managed it when asking the player to complete QTEs. Uh, Not that they were called that then, of course. And I have always found all this director's games suffer from the same issue. Good characterization and an interesting portrayal of relationships works far better in creating that connection than having to shake a dual shock in order to wrestle someone (laughs) off of me. (laughs) Brush your teeth. (laughs) And wipe your ass. Or did I make that one up? No, that's what I did with the guy. It's a waste of a good control. <laughs> the free origami. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it came with. Which I remember was, this. It came with an origami figure in the box, didn't it? You, that's right. You could do it while it was installed. The most, the most playable of, element. Some mm-hmm. would say. One of the more clever uses of an install screen. Yeah. But the plot and the way it all played out was good for me. Fun, even. Uh, as much as I thought the controls were poor, I got wrapped up in the mystery and the whodunit aspect. Passing each trial and making choices on how to achieve this was quite exhilarating at points, especially when I had to abandon some of them due to l- my lack of ability. The game definitely did put me in some horrible situations and requested I make some snap decisions I was never convinced were correct at the time. The fact that it managed to bring it all together for me by the end was a triumph, and while it never projected the game up to the heights of excellence, I would say it was still a good title to play through. Of course, this sort of open-ended aspect means that if things do not work out, the player can have an awful story experience full of random aspects and things that just don't make sense. If that did happen, I can definitely understand why the whole thing may feel incredibly cheap. Cage is very ambitious and his vision should be applauded, but he suffers from the Molyneux complex of speaking without necessarily having something in place to back it up. Uh, Derek sort of suggests there that if the story goes just right, that all the maybe the plot holes are filled in, but I don't but think there's, that's the case. I, mean, I don't know if you guys remember your endings, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> um, and for, it's probably not even really a talking point, but I, I did watch... Um, there's what they call the perfect crime ending which is essentially where Scott Shelby gets away and everybody else dies. Yep. That's um, it, yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's one hell of a way to end the game and you need to be pretty cold and calculated to, to get it through playing the game and just letting players, you know, or characters die off willy-nilly. But, um, I mean, from that point, yeah, it, it I mean, I, I, I kind of like that in <laughs> watching it because it's just, you know, yep, there we go, got away with it. Although, you know, he's been investigated. I, I believe he's the news or well, nobody knows about him do they? so i mean it that works quite well but that'd been one hell of a way to end the game god i think i think i think that's what i had i think i had i'd certainly remember only shelby being left doesn't it cut to black as he's about to track so what, someone down and kill madison them? norman i he, think maybe norman was still alive i'm not sure but i remember it being dark and actually um it seemed fitting enough uh, given my sort of feeling towards the game by then that 
I had a pretty yeah. happy ending. Uh, the first time I played it, I had Madison and Ethan move into a, a happy home together with their son. Oh, um, uh, oh, hang on. No way a minute. I had that as yeah. well. <laughs> Scott Shelby got away and Ethan and Madison was still. So yeah. that, that's what I, in my second playthrough, I had that last night too, because Norman, they're fighting at the end, him and Shelby, and um, yeah, I missed and like whacked. one click or yeah. something. And yeah, it knocks he goes out into a meat uh, grinder. Norman and kills him. He falls <laughs> off the That's Right, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah. I, I quite like, and I had him, um, Norman, survive uh, in the playthrough I did when I first went through the game. I was really, I was quite cautious, and but then he has this ridiculous seizure because he's he's kind of all linked in his his drug addicted world of using the glasses. So he takes the glasses off, and then he still sees the world around him, even though he's not there. So it's kind of like completely freaks out. Um, I think I think Scott died. So I mean, there, there is very, there's plenty. I think there's like twenty something, isn't there? Like the thing I was looking, there's there's a whole bunch of variations of if if you let one person die and then that they, that changes one way. But I think the the overall arcing thing is that I, I believe Scott mm-hmm. Shelby probably and I, I think should that's die. admirable by itself. Yeah. Whether you know it doesn't it doesn't add up any of those stories. Any of those endings don't really add up and make sense. But the fact that that's even possible, no, exactly, yeah. like so many games try to tell you, like there's so many ways to end this, you know, Mass Effect 3, there's so many ways. There's like, three endings to that game. And Walking Dead, there was two endings to that game. But it is always like, everything is going to matter. And things in this game actually do matter, even though they don't <laughs> make yeah. sense. Yeah, if they'd had the, the, the writing to lead up to that point. Yeah, yeah. Dom's Beard says, I was genuinely shocked when the origami killer was revealed. I didn't see it coming in a million years. Well, you wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason for that, Dom. Dom's. That feeling in my gut I hadn't felt in a game before, though I did again in Bioshock Infinite, still sticks with me now. It's got plot holes galore, but I'll always love this game as it gives me great memories. And it's, uh, it's got the good thing that you can ask people about their story when talking about it. Oh, and that soundtrack, incredible. I do remember that being kind of cool, like when, and when it first came out, and everybody kind of finished it around the same time. We all had different um, things happen, and that was kind of neat. This is another thing that doesn't really happen in any other game, really. Yeah, I mean, certainly the the next one, I think the next ones, are, are, and again, maybe this does say something about the the state of video game storytelling at the time mm-hmm. that it's happened since with Mass Effect and Walking Dead. Maybe a few other things. Um, maybe some of the more, you know, uh, mm. obviously we did the Tale of Tales. Um, show and it's a bit different but that's sort of you know what was your experience Mm. kind of thing Uh, insert coins on the forum says when I think back on Heavy Rain I had a very positive experience with it I found it engaging and exciting through my entire playthrough I'm glad to have played it although my freedom was limited I still feel like I had a good amount of agency over the story it is possible to fail sections and the consequences of doing so drastically affect how the rest play out plays out the player may not have all of the information that they need to catch the killer or a key character may die off before their purpose has been purpose has been fully served i messed up one of the many trials the main character was put through and did not have all of the information i should have had when trying to track down the location of the killer in the end of the game so i had to use my own detective skills to make inferences and educated guesses as to how to proceed i chose the correct location despite not having all the information i needed by taking a chance on some background details that i had found earlier which was incredibly rewarding Overall, I had a good time playing the game, but also recognise its flaws. I feel like somewhere on the intersection of Heavy Rain, Deadly Premonition and Gone Home awaits the ultimate mystery game just waiting to be created. There's a mixture. I'm excited to see... (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to see what happens as we continually get closer to that point. Haze Red Mist says, I loved Heavy Rain when it came out and have good memories. 
It's not the sort of game I'll be replaying anytime soon, but why would I? The joy was following the plot, creating your own story and comparing with others. Sure, there were plot holes, ropey mechanics, but if you didn't get the game spoiled for you with a giant twist, it was a genuinely impressive experience. I think some people forget we didn't have it quite so good with story-driven games when Heavy Rain came out. While replay value was poor, the trophy mechanics terrible and the gameplay questionable, I really didn't have a problem with it and just let myself enjoy it for what it was. It was also pretty technically impressive graphically. To be honest, all you had to do at the time was listen to the sheer amount of heavy rain spoiler casts around, people excitedly comparing stories, what happened here, how did you handle this, did this character do that to see how well the game made its mark. I think David Cage said you should only play this game once. I believe he was right. I did, and I still look back on it fondly. I I never understood why he he went on record saying that. <laughs> Other than like, but the whole you should only play it once. I mean, I mean, I I think that's just. I mean, yeah, your experience is your experience. But then that's like saying never go back and read mm-hmm. a novel again. Never watch the same film again. You know, your first take mm-hmm. of that should be your first take. I you know, I just don't. I don't buy it. I I think you know. With that, yes. I mean, actually, if the game is as good as he thinks it is, then you should revel in going back. Like Jay said earlier, like you should go back and and you know look at the clues and see what is leading mm. to that that one last big reveal. Um, certainly, going back a, a second oh. time, knowing that Scott Shelby was the murderer, I was. I might suggest I that he said that because he was hoping that people wouldn't realize what a crock of shit. What do you reckon? Yeah. The story was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. He, again, it's like with you know, like you watch Fight Club. I know we mentioned it earlier, but you watch <laughs> that film once and you're like, hmm. You watch it again and then you start and piecing shit, all yeah. together. Everything is there. Yeah, everything, and you start then seeing it, and it, it, it's better the second yeah. time round because then it's ah, yeah. And it, it could have been that. It could yeah, have been some, that experience. Some of my favourite books and films I've read multiple times. I've watched multiple times purely because you know, even on the you know the tenth time, you're like, oh. Yeah, gee, I've never, I've never yeah. really noticed that one small minute detail. If it's, you know, if it's a good piece of, uh, you know, um, entertainment, then you know, I, I do believe going back multiple times. I, I understand his, well, you know, your experience, your experience, don't ruin it for you because it's, this is interactive. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't but, play through Walking the Walking Dead again as much as I enjoyed it. Um, well, I've done that as well, so I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, stupidly, I, I made many of the same decisions. So, yeah. Well, this time I was so eager to kill Norman off straight away because <laughs> I didn't like any of his gameplay sections. Um, he got crushed in the crushing. Yeah. <laughs> good, good call. Finally, from the forum and uh, for this volume, uh, Alex seventy nine UK says I loved Heavy Rain. I was really excited about it coming out after I played the demo, and when it was released, I wasn't disappointed. It was one of only a handful of day one purchases I've ever made. I tried to replay it recently, but I couldn't really get back into it as I remembered too much of the story. My first playthrough, though, I absolutely loved. I didn't see the ending coming at all. It was a total surprise to me. I admit the game was full of plot holes. Never explaining how or why Ethan keeps waking up with paper swans in his hands was probably the biggest one for me. But if people can forgive steaming turds like Inception at the movies, I don't see why they can't forgive this masterpiece a few glitches here and there. (laughs) I liked Inception. I loved Inception. Yeah, (laughs) them's fighting words, they are. But um, this... what has been interesting actually is because you know coming into the show, there's there's been obviously a lot of negativity around heavy rain because you know there's Jay in particular we we've always known hasn't been a fan, um, and one of the things we do with kind of rinse is wait a, a fair chunk of time to make sure that we don't review games right in the moment because there's a very different feeling from you know as and when they're released and you know in this case three years down the line, um, but it is I'm, I'm generally happy that there's people out there that 
got a ton of enjoyment from that. Um, and I feel I feel like when the game first came out, that was very much the case. But once again, you know, as you know, as time has gone by, um, you know, people take you know stead look back and and you know certain things don't sit so well. And you know, I think that's why important is to, to view games slightly further down the line. But I, I'm sure Jay yeah. <laughs> got to the end and went, "No, <laughs> I think we all did actually." Well, some of us did. I did. I'm quite pleased that uh, you know most of our. Uh, Brilliant forumites uh, have, you know, said that they had positive experiences with the game, but recognise its flaws. And I think, you know, I'm I'm sure that's representative of most of the listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we'll be giving our own honest assessments, summarisations after these three word reviews. The, all right, this is going to sound weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Alex Dola, uh, Jason, Jason, Jason. John Lloyd uh, seemed to get the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> his three-word review is snake, snake, snake. <laughs> uh, Devin York says chicken chucking chase. Can someone explain uh, that? Imagine you're running uh, through the, the market um, right, and throws yeah. chickens at you to make yeah. you trip over. <laughs> okay. I've, there yeah, you go. I vaguely remember <laughs> that. Uh, and fish and ice cubes. <laughs> um, uh, Ian Stephen. Flawed, miserable masterpiece. Uh, Naki Mansa, uh, infamous shower scene. Pietrick says, awkward walking around. Debbie Timmons says, origami herring, infanticide. Alan Wilkinson, devices, gaming milestone. The Lynx defect sent it back. Ooh, harsh. <laughs> Was that a rental or a purchase, I wonder? Uh, Zafri7, controversially, perhaps says, better with move. Daniel Gomez says, roller coaster of emotions. Samantha, fresh, beautiful potential. Tatsun, gaping plot holes. Uh, Zephyu says, button press fail. Jim D says, almost drowned, rescued. Andy Piddy, intriguing, frustrating, dark. Uh, Craig C says, no Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and Count Stex says, well, sudden script. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Uh, let us conclude then with our summaries. Would you recommend that people play this game after, <laughs> after having listened to this podcast? Perhaps less so, but as a general uh, rule of thumb, let's start with Tony. Um, I think Fahrenheit's a better game. Um, that I was more emotionally attached to the, the start of that story, and I think that it had better um, grasp of kind of gameplay, which felt slightly. I know you don't like the word unique, Leon, but slightly more unique than. No, no, the the word's fine, but you can't. So something can't <laughs> right, be more can't unique be slightly than something either. else. That's um, the point. Um, no. Either it's unique or it isn't. <laughs> gameplay which is unique. Aha, uh-huh, there you go. I'll use that then. But um, I don't, I don't hate Heavy Rain. Um, I know I've come off quite, you know, boisterous, maybe energetic on this show. Oh, not compared to Jay. We we sound mild um, about it. I, I honestly, I I think David Cage is an interesting guy, and I think he's. You know he's well-meaning and he's he, in my opinion, he's on the right direction. I just I just think that you know he needs to concentrate on stuff to make these games a bit more unique. Um, he needs to, to 
get away from the combat stuff. And I don't think Beyond Two Souls is going to do that. But looks at the trailers that they're you know they're focusing a bit more on the combat stuff. I'm more interested in um, the characters and um, you know just making it a, a slower paced, interesting character piece. Um, and I think games struggle to do that at the best of times. So I wish that he'd embrace that rather than making it this you know grand old kind of action adventure game. I just wish it was more adventure. Um, would I recommend it? I I do think it's it's a, a, a see this. I don't think it's a milestone. I, I think it's it's an interesting game for people that enjoy slightly different toned games. Um, is it for everyone? No, but um, you know, going for it a second time, I think I appreciated what it was trying to do. But at the same time, you can't escape the fact that it's just not very well written acted, directed, and all the bits in between. Um, so it's probably, it's probably a pass in some respects, but you know, I didn't hate it like, like some have expressed. Yeah, I think... I don't think David Cage is ever going to make a great game as long as he's writing mm-hmm. them. Um, I think the problem is that... The, the irony is that for for a man who talks a lot about emotions and storytelling um he's he's for whatever reason however it came about he's in charge of a studio that's technically very capable but he insists on writing and directing the games and he's a poor writer a really poor writer to the to the extent that if heavy rain had been a film obviously it couldn't be because of you know branching story and whatever but it would it just would have been, you know, an absolute laughing stock straight to DVD at best. For me, if you're trying to make a game that is uh, is about characters and stories and interactions, you've got to get certain things right. Like clearly, the the, the controls and stuff and the the interactive stuff with the dual shock and whatever is not the biggest problem with this game. Um, it's the fact that the story is just very very weak very poor badly written and badly performed um regardless of the you know the quality of the models or whatever you know you could give cage could have the the facial tech we talked about for la noir or or um you know or even higher end you know movie quality stuff but you know if 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 cage did make a movie it would be probably at worst uve bowl standard at best m night Shyamalan's recent outings um and uh, and I don't want to play that. I don't want to waste my time with that. I think if 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 Heavy Rain is a, a stepping stone, or or you know even a milestone or an important game, it's important in that it reminds us not to seek certain things in video games, or if we do, how not to mm-hmm. execute them. Um, it, video game emotion is not all about making people scared or cry. Those things are great. Um, I like scary games. I like that, you know, there have been some wonderful games that have made me teary in various ways, but, um, you know, they have to have that idea, that magic, that intent, that, and I, I don't think David Cage is well-intentioned. I don't, I, I think, I think he's, he comes across as smug and oily and. Well, what I find is kind of funny, like we've done you know, a hundred shows here and, like very rare. I mean, it, it happens, but very rare do we, you know, concentrate on the developer in his name. I mean, and sometimes, you know, it's for good reasons because you know they've done fantastic work. But it seems like more than any game we've ever covered, you know, Davies Cage at this point is what very much in the happen? forefront of a lot of our talking points. 
as I said at the start of this summary, um, it's it's ironic to me that this studio that's so well known for its games about ca- supposedly characters and narrative and emotion in, in particular yeah. is actually the studio's best at clearly at uh, uh, technical things. You know, the audio visual side is is spot on. Everything else is really crap from my point of view. Um, and I could play other games that I enjoy more in every single area, mm. in, in every single aspect. You know, it's 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 not a, it's not a good who done. I love the idea. We were, we were talking on the LA Noir podcast. I love the idea of procedurals and who done it's and noir games and 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 character driven stuff with great performances. And 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 I'm I'm even though you know I grew up playing you know fast paced Twitch arcade games and whatever. I also grew up playing text adventures. Um, uh, I like the idea of story-driven games with, with full of intelligent ideas and mature content, you know, actually mature content, not not a pair of very, very stiff tits. Um, that's That doesn't equal mature content. You know, the, the most basic um, toying with emotions of dead children. You know, it's like, the you know, right, how can we make people cry? Well, what's the thing people react to most? Well, we probably can't do... Uh, sexual assault on children so let's just kill them and that'll get people crying that'll turn on the waterworks in fact let's turn on the waterworks throughout the whole game and call it heavy rain um yeah it's uh i'm glad i played it so i can talk about it i never want to play it again i couldn't honestly recommend to anyone that they play it um not very good for me uh jay in all honesty i would never recommend this game to anybody um I would. Uh, I. I wouldn't even recommend people play it. As as I said before, I've said on Twitter, um, it may be a milestone to some people, but to me, it's a milestone of what can happen if you give fifty-two million dollars to a guy whose ego outweighs his actual talent. I do. Um, I would like to be able to say that maybe he'll come back and 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 with Beyond and and maybe he'll he'll make a game that you know I'll, I'll gladly say if if Beyond's a good game I will, I will not hold back on that I will not say that it isn't but I as Leon said I don't think he's this is the guy to do it I am fed up with him being put forward as the evangelist of modern gaming like where we need to go he's he's put himself out there. Um, he, you know, I am fed up to the back teeth of hearing him talk about emotion. I am fed up of him telling me what games need to be. To, and then this is a guy who whose writing skills are that of a I, fucking twelve year old. I, I, um, I guess my only you know counter argument of that is I'd rather somebody try to be discussing stuff outside of. No, but that that's just it. It's as if. It's as if when he's on stage, it's as if there is no Telltale Games, there is no that game company, well, there yeah, is that, no Naughty Dog. Problem, it's all Quantic Dream. They're the only people out there trying to make games that bring up emotion. And you, you just you self righteous, pretentious twats. You have dare right, you okay, go well, up that, on stage yeah, and dismiss I, other I agree. games. That, that is a different discussion altogether. But you know, I, I, I think. I, as much as I, I completely agree with both you and Leon um, on your summaries, there's just something that doesn't I can't get over, which is at least it's trying something different. It may be the most ham-fisted attempt, and there may be certainly since games which achieve far, far greater levels uh, and you know and goals. But the fact that it's just not another shooter, 
Um, and I think but, the industry's come a long way since since then. It has, it has. But I spent 15 minutes playing Thomas Was Alone and felt more for those fucking shapes than I did for any of the characters that David Cage has ever mm. written in any three of his games. Like, to me, the, the industry is moving forward. I don't get this thing like, you know, he's, he's gone on stage and said games need to be taken seriously, so they need to grow up. And it's like, what decade are you living in? Games are being but, taken seriously. But if seriously. you think back to what, two probably 2007 when that game was was you know starting to be properly developed i i think you know there was he's still saying it though. I, I agree he's, but you know even if he even if but, he contributed something he's now stuck in the mid 2000s yeah, or something where everyone I, else I agree but I, I think you know 2007 was was you know I, I i really think the industry is is done a lot since that game's released and certainly when it would have been green light i think sony but pumping that's that not kind of money that into game- into what he was achieving. Certainly after Fahrenheit did yeah, absolutely nothing commercially, um, you know, was a brave attempt, even if ultimately it, it becomes a, a failure. I think, you know, meaning, I, I, he, he means well, even if his big speechy game, and certainly now, I agree, there's, there's so, the industry has moved, you know, leaps and bounds since when Heavy Rain's come out. And I'm sure that's probably something that Sean, in his own summary, will probably latch onto. But, well, yeah. But Jay, yeah. no, no, finish I, it. I, I, yeah. Well, it's just there's this thing that I'd like to know why that you know that so many of this guy's got the backing of a big publisher. Yeah, few do, you know, and studio yeah. themselves, and and that that's the problem I've got with it. Is is what makes him? Why is he being singled out? There are better developers better out writers. there who are pushing things. Yeah. Not just writers, but guys who are making games that are just more interesting than what he does. How about you give them $52 million and see what they come up with? Because there's an every, every <laughs> possibility that they'll make something that will change the way we look at games. Not just somebody who, who's full of hot air and just gets up on a stage all the time. And, and it, yeah, yeah. I'd have been interested. I, the whole you know, pushing of story, story games, I think, is, is hard because I think there's been games out now that it's not just about story. It's not just about narrative. That, that's, well, just, that's something else. Yeah, I mean, that... singly focus on that because I, I think there's been games since you know um, Uncharted, whether you like it or not. I think done well of, of mixing both gameplay and story-driven games together. You know, my, my me personally, I thought Enslaved was a, a real big you know step in the right direction, and everyone else has got their favourites now. Um, and I think just concentrating on on single you know just very story-driven games. I don't know if it's a folly uh, and, and a route that we desperately need to, need to go down, but you know, may, it's, at least it's a different angle. Yeah. Well, the thing with, with Enslaved, and, and then maybe it's a, a point, when you've got that kind of budget, then why aren't you getting a proper writer yeah. to do your stuff? Like, they got Alex Garland to write Enslaved. You know, somebody with experience and who arguably did a damn yeah, sight better job than David than Cage can only dream about. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Now, Sean, we're relying on yeah. you to uh, okay, do what we like to do, which is <laughs> finish, on yeah. a, finish on a positive oh, note. But whatever, whatever your honest feelings. Huh. Well, no, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to follow that up. Um, I'm of two minds of Heavy Rain. I, I kind of like the correspondence that we had. I, I, I totally recognize that there's the script is pretty bad um the character there's no development and um the story just doesn't come together in any way but i still appreciate the action sequences and i felt exhilarated while playing them and i feel like even though we have 
We've had better written games since then and before then. Perhaps, this is pretentious, I guess, but it, it feels to me like we needed something like Heavy Rain to happen so that we can see what goes wrong and what goes right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I hope that he keeps going. Like I know uh, you guys have said that you don't think he's well-intentioned, but I I want to believe <laughs> that he's yeah. um, legit. His next game should be called really Believe. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, it's got to be a type of weather or something. Um, and I think, I think, even though there's some parts of Fahrenheit that were better than Heavy Rain, I still think overall Heavy Rain is a well more put together game. And I, from what I that little demo that I played last night of Beyond, like I think that seems like it's getting he's going in the right direction. I feel like, and I'm glad he's around to be doing this stuff, whether it's shit or whether it's great. I just said. For me, I, I, it's it's a relief that someone is doing something different. So, I don't know. I still had fun with it. <laughs> do you think people should play it, Sean? I do. I do. I. Okay. I yeah, I do. I, I would be I would be stoked as anyone if I unlike Jay, I haven't ruled out playing Beyond Two Souls. Um, oh, I haven't. I'll co- no, no, sorry, I'll, I'll just correct that. I haven't ruled out ever playing it. I just oh, okay. have ruled out ever paying yeah. for it. <laughs> oh, well, I should say that too. Like, I'm not gonna. I, I've, I've decided not to actually buy this one though, so I'm going to try and rent it. But okay, well, I, I, I may end up buying it. It will depend, um, but I will be a lot more cautious um, this time around. Um, I just hope that Cage, you know, maybe has the realization that actually conveying emotion in whatever medium is not about how authentically mm. you recreate the human face that is a way and it is a part you know there are representational paintings beautifully re-rendered paintings uh sorry beautifully (laughs) um rendered paintings by great artists which you know are representational but equally we can be moved by Mm -hmm. uh, abstract art and we can be moved by cartoon characters and we can be moved by four pixel high sprites uh depending on what they're doing, what else is going on in the context. It's not about how many wrinkles and veins they've got and whether you can see their tear ducts actually welling up. He needs to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm adamant about that. I don't, this isn't even something that is, I, I think, you know, and, and unless there are human beings out there who have only ever been moved by realistic mm. other human beings, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. there are, maybe there are people who have never been, now watch the, Watch the open, the, the infamous <laughs> opening uh, 10 minutes to Up by Pixar. Hmm. Those people do not look like real people, but that you know they are simplified cartoon, cartoonized hmm. um, caricatures of people. And yet, the way that is edited and the story it tells, and it's wordless as well. You don't even need words. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? I mean, I, I'm thinking don't need, same thing for Wally. Yeah, I'm thinking more yeah, abstract, uh, you know, a floating plastic bag in American Beauty. You know, stick a score underneath it and, a, you know, a, a slowish motion. Uh, yeah, well, he, he knows music goes a long way. At least he's got that part right. But mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, all that sort of thing. Yeah. But a script certainly helps. If you are going to try and tell a good story, a con- you know, a good story <laughs> is a good way to tell yeah. a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's got all the other stuff, like you were just saying, with the score. He's got the score. He's got, he's the, got the, the technical... Mouse. He just doesn't have the the words, you know. It's, it's uh, you mentioned M Night Shyamalan, and in a lot of ways, I would uh, damning with faint praise kind of compare them. Mm. Like I think both of them are actually decent storytellers. They just don't tell good <laughs> stories, if that makes mm. any sense. Mm. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, thinking about 
Spielberg, Steven Spielberg or Stephen King. You know, these are people who can manipulate with the best of them, but they also mm-hmm. do it. They have pizzazz, they have interest, they yeah. have charisma, they have little touches that make things worth being manipulated mm-hmm. by. Anyway, yeah. enough of this. Uh, <laughs> it is time for us to round up not only this issue of the podcast, but this volume of Cane and Rinse. You will be able to play along with Kane and Rince Volume 3. Volume 3 is happening, and Tony and I have decided about, what, three, two, three quarters of the 50 games that we'll make yeah. up next year's, the next year's game. Also, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we've still got a few more before we complete the, the set of 50, but um, yes, and details will be announced soon. But uh, to follow those, the progress of that, between now and when we return, you will need to uh, engage with us on the internet. Uh, that is canorince.com, the blog, the forum, canorince.com slash forum. We have a Facebook page and, of course, a Twitter feed oh, and a YouTube channel as well. Um, and you can follow our progress there. As ever, in the meantime, please continue to support us by subscribing, reviewing and rating us on iTunes. I would like to thank, uh, and I'm sure the rest of the assembled here today would also like to thank all of our listeners and correspondents particularly, and subscribers, raters, reviewers, forumites throughout the first two volumes. So anyway, the plan is that we will return with uh, volume three, which will be issue 101, on or around October the 29th. So until uh, sort of Halloween time, it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins, Jay Taylor and Sean O'Brien and we'll leave you with some music 